Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Hi everyone. Um, so the scripture for today is 2 Peter 1, verses 12 to 21. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth that you have been taught. And it is only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. But our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. So I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. For we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from God from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Because of this, this experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. You must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and Christ the morning star shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realise that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. This is the word of the Lord. Great. Thank you, Leah. Hey, can everybody hear me? Give me a thumbs up if you can hear me. Great. Okay. Well, um, sorry, everybody, for the technical difficulties that we're having this morning. We've had a couple of different uh, uh, unexpected challenges thanks to COVID and people having to self-isolate unexpectedly. So uh, apologies for all of that. Uh, Hopefully it will just be a one-off and uh, won't be an issue again in the future. But it is great to see everybody. Thank you so much for for tuning in this morning. Um, I really think it it matters, you know, just just to be able to be together, even virtually like this makes a difference. I know as a pastor, I love seeing all of your faces. Um, So thank you for being a part of the call this morning. Um, Now, uh, I want to start today with a story about when I was young. Um, because we had some family friends who lived in the mountains of Colorado where I grew up. And we would periodically drive up to their home on the weekend to uh, to enjoy a day with them. And their house was great fun for me as a kid. I mean, they had horses, they had a basketball hoop, they had the best, and best of all, they had one of these. They had an ATV or a, a four-wheeler. And of course, you know, for a, for a little boy, this was like the coolest thing on planet Earth. And I, of course, was way too young to drive uh, that an ATV, but my dad would put me in his lap and take me out for rides. And on one occasion, um, I think I was about eight or nine years old, but we were riding along a dirt road. And as we were riding along, the side of the road just crumbled out from underneath the vehicle. Um, and, and, and before we knew what was happening, we were flipping down, down the hillside. Um, so the, the, the ground just kind of caved out from under the ATV and it just started flipping down the hill. 
and and somehow we managed to be mostly unhurt. We were a little scratched up. The ATV, however, didn't fare as well. But as I think back on that experience now, I mean, it's frightening how quickly it all happened and how the main difference between cruising along a mountain road and tumbling down the mountain was how firm the ground was beneath us. And so I learned that day that it's difficult to do anything without having solid ground beneath you. You know, whether you're trying to ride an ATV or you're trying to stand firm in your faith. And that's what I want to talk to you about today as we continue the series that we have been doing on the book of 2 Peter. I want to talk about standing firm, you know, the, the phrase that we've named this series after, because it seems there seems to be something about standing firm, which is really important if we're going to follow Jesus. Um, it, it's mentioned regularly in the New Testament. You know, in, in the passage we just read, Peter tells us to stand firm. Uh, Paul tells us in Ephesians to stand firm in our faith. Jesus tells us to have a firm foundation if we're going to endure. So there's something about standing firm, which is really important for us if we're going to follow Jesus. But what does it mean? Like, what does it really mean to stand firm? I don't know uh, if you've really ever thought about that before, but Peter gives us some really helpful insights in this passage. So let's look again at how Peter opens up this section, starting with, with verse 12. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. Now, what does he mean when he says these things? What's the context for, for what we're talking about? Well, we've been looking at it the last few weeks. Uh, Peter has been exhorting us to apply ourselves to proving that our faith is genuine by becoming people who are marked by love and integrity. And then he he gives us the purpose for writing this letter, and, and it's really about reminding them. He says, therefore, I will always remind you about these things. He wants to remind these new believers of the great truths of their faith. You know, you'll, you'll see the word remind or remember used over and over again throughout the letter of 2 Peter. You know, Peter, it's like his time is short. And so he's just scribbling down these last minute instructions saying, don't forget this. Don't forget that. Remember, remember, rem oh, let me remind you about this. And he's wanting to remind them about these things so they can stand firm in the midst of persecution that they were facing at the time. And so, you know, this kind of reminds me of a, a C.S. Lewis quote that has always uh, stuck with me. He's, he writes this. He says, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. And, you know, I found that to be true. You know, it's not just that, it's not that the problem isn't that most of the time that we don't know the truth. We just need to be reminded of it. You know, we tend to have short memories when it comes to our faith. You know, just like Israel quickly forgot about all of God's interventions that, that he did to deliver them from Egypt. In the same way, we can easily forget about God's faithfulness in our lives. So Peter's writing to remind them about all these things. And he says, even though you already know them, I will, I will remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. So, right, back to our question, what does it mean to stand firm? 
Well, I, I think that we interpret that as being about our willpower, you know, about being really determined not to give up. We, we think it's about being strong or our determination not to succumb to pressure. But the good news is that that's not what standing firm is about. Standing firm is not about our strength. It's about the strength of the ground beneath you. Standing firm is not about being perfect. It's not about being really determined or having extraordinary willpower. Uh, standing firm is about your choice to remain with your feet planted on the rock. Remember, I mean, remember Jesus's famous mini parable about the wise and foolish builder. I mean, he, he talks about the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. But the wise man builds his house on the rock. And when the rain and floods come, it's only those with a firm foundation that will survive. So both houses, you know, they might have the exact same design. But what determines their survival is how solid the ground is underneath it. And that's the lesson that I learned on the ATV that day. You know, it didn't matter how skilled my dad was at driving an ATV or how powerful it was or how well engineered the, the ATV was. Without solid ground beneath it, they, that ATV was a death trap. <laughs> so in the same way, you know, we're not going to be able to stand firm in our faith unless we've got something to stand on. So what Peter is instructing us to, so, so what is he actually instructing us to stand firm on? If you go back to that verse, he, he tells us, he says, standing firm in the truth you have been taught. Peter's telling us that, that the firm foundation that we have to stand on is the truth, God's truth, the truth that he had been teaching these new believers and, you know, truth is so important because we live in a generation that says truth is relative, that what's true for you is not necessarily true for me. But, but truth, by its very nature, is not subjective. Truth is objective. It, it's something that if it's true, it applies to everyone. If it's not true, then it doesn't apply to all. It doesn't apply at all. So, you know, we acknowledge this in some areas, you know, like in math, we, we say two plus two always equals four. And it doesn't matter whether you've been taught how to do arithmetic, two plus two always equals four. It's always true. But we, we, and we acknowledge this in science as well, you know, like the law of gravity applies to everyone exactly the same, regardless of whether you believe in gravity or not. But when it comes to spiritual matters, we're less willing to acknowledge absolute truth. But God's truth is true for everyone, whether they believe in it or not. Now, the world thinks God's truth is a bad thing because they, they, they fear God's truth because it seems like God's truth is going to limit us. But remember what Jesus said about truth. He said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you what? The truth will set you free. So what Peter's telling us is that if we're going to make it, if we're going to stand firm when the storms of life come, we've got to stand firm on God's truths. We've got to stand firm. I mean, he might call it the great and precious promises that he talked about in verse four. We've got to stand firm on those promises and on the truth of God's word. But then skipping down to verse 16, we hit a tipping point in this letter. 
the first 11 verses have been a summary of what Peter's been teaching them. And then verses 12 to 15 state the purpose of this letter. You know, he wants to remind them of the truth so that they can stand firm on it. And now in verse 16, Peter begins to address some of the accusations and doubts that have been coming from the opponents of Christianity because he wants to restore, he's concerned that, that maybe these accusations and doubts have, have eroded the confidence of these new believers. And so he wants to restore their confidence. And, and so he starts with this common accusation that every Christian has heard at some point in their life. He says, for we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Skeptics were apparently saying, you're making this stuff up. You know, you're, you're just imagining this. You're, 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 you're lying. You're, you're, this is all just make-believe. Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. He didn't really work all those miracles. He's not really going to come back one day. So they're saying, you're making this stuff up. And, and this accusation, you know, so this has been around since the very beginning of Christianity. And, and, you know, and it's still, obviously, it's still around today. And maybe you've wondered this yourself. You're like, is this really trustworthy? Is this really reliable? Is this, or were the, the writers of the Bible just making this stuff up? You know, maybe in this age of conspiracy theories, you've wondered that, you know, is, is Christianity just another conspiracy theory? But we have very solid reasons to believe Christianity isn't just another conspiracy theory. Now, we don't have time to go into all those different theories today, but or different uh, reasons today, but I want to briefly mention two of the reasons that we can believe that Christianity is true. Um, we've already talked about one of them. In verse 15, Peter mentioned that he's about to be martyred for his faith. He doesn't have long to live. And so here's my question. If you're, if you're making this stuff up, why die for a lie? In other words, why would you die for something you know isn't true? Or, or to take it a step further, why would you die for a man whose death disproved everything he asked you to believe in the first place? It doesn't make sense. I mean, one thing we can say for sure is the disciples believed Jesus was who he said he was. I mean, they staked their lives on that truth. They died proclaiming that Jesus was the son of God. They believed it and they died for it. But if you knew it was a lie, why would you die for it? I think their commitment to the message of Jesus is proof that Christianity is true. And then as we move on in verse 16, we see another reason we can have confidence that Christianity is true. He says, you know, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. So, so Peter and the other apostles, they, they are eyewitnesses to everything. So this isn't just hearsay. There, there are eyewitnesses to the events of the gospel. Uh, uh, people that you can fact check with. You know, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said that there were over 500 people who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead, many of whom were still alive at the time that he wrote that letter. So Paul was inviting people to fact check him. He's saying, look, look, 
it's not just me that's talking about this. People have seen the risen Jesus. You can ask them. So there's, so we have a couple of great reasons for trusting in the truth of Christianity. And, and it's, first of all, the, the commitment of the disciples to that message, even to their death, and the fact that there are numerous eyewitnesses to the events of the Gospels. But these accusations about making this stuff up, it wasn't just generally about Jesus and, you know, did Jesus really die and rise again? It seemed like one of the main accusations that they were dealing with was whether or not Jesus was going to return one day. In fact, if you read that verse again, it says that, that uh, we were not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I've always read that as referring to the first coming of Jesus, you know, his life, his, his death, his resurrection. And, 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 but when I was studying for this message this week, I, I discovered something that I'd never seen before. And that, and that is the Greek word that's used there for the powerful coming is the word parousia. And, and every time the New Testament uses that word about Jesus, it's always used in reference to his second coming, never to his first coming. So, so Peter is actually setting out to refute this claim that he's just making up stories about Jesus returning one day. And actually, much of his book is going to be about this topic. Now, later on in, in uh, chapter three, he actually gets specific. He shares the accusations that are coming against him. In uh, chapter three, verses three and four, it's, he's, he writes, most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was created. So they're saying, Peter, you're saying Jesus is coming back? Well, then where is he? Life just continues on as it did before. I mean, maybe you've heard this question yourself, but this goes all the way back to the first century. And Peter's writing this letter in response to some of those accusations. And he's saying, guys, listen, I'm not making this up. Jesus really is coming back. It's not just a fairy tale. It's not just wishful thinking. He really is coming back. And as proof, he refers to what had to be one of the most transformative experiences of his life, what he witnessed on the Mount of Transfiguration, which he quickly recaps here. He says, we saw his, Jesus's majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received honor and glory from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, most of you know this story that he's referring to, but I want to read it again because Peter is saying the Mount of Transfiguration is a foreshadowing of the second coming. It's told in three of the Gospels, but we'll read Mark's account because Mark is often called the Gospel of Peter because it's believed that Mark was the one who took everything that Peter recounted about the life of Jesus and compiled it into his gospel. So as we read this story, it's reasonable to, uh, to read it as if Peter himself were telling it to us. And so in Mark 9, verse 2, it says this, 
Six days later, Peter took, or Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus's appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. So Jesus is praying and suddenly he's transfigured. I mean, he lights up. And I love that detail about his clothes being whiter than any bleach could make them. So this is clearly a supernatural light. It's not light shining on Jesus. You know, it's not a, a sunbeam shining through a cloud and landing on Jesus's face. Now, this light is radiating from within Jesus. In fact, Matthew's account puts it this way. He says that, that Jesus's appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Oh, such an incredible picture. Remember, Jesus is the light of the world. And now these disciples, they're getting to see it for themselves. They're seeing who he really is. You know, remember that line in the carol that we sing every year on Christmas, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. There's that line, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. I think that's a great description of what's happening here. Jesus's true nature had been veiled by his humanity. But for a brief moment, Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus in all his glory and majesty. And the fact that James and John were there with Peter is significant because they were also there as witnesses. Um, the Mosaic, and, and why that matters is because in the Mosaic law, it states that every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. In other words, you couldn't accuse someone in court unless there were two or three witnesses to confirm what you were accusing someone of. So what you have here is you have three men that all stand as witnesses to what they saw on the Mount of, Trans the, the Mount of Transfiguration, and they're testifying as eyewitnesses to the veracity of that extraordinary experience. But then the story goes on, and actually, I find this part really funny. It says, then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus, and that's a whole other conversation that we don't have time to get into today. Then Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let us make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then we get this comment that Peter had to have said himself. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I, I, I love this because it, it's like I'd compare it to when you see someone famous in public and you just make a complete fool of yourself. You know, anyone ever done that? It, it's it's your, you see someone famous and it's your one chance to talk to them and you say the dumbest thing possible. So this story reassures me that I'm not the only one who says something dumb when I'm around someone I admire or look up to. And then the story continues and it says, then a cloud overshadowed. Nobody really answered Peter. They're just like, we'll just, we'll just overlook that. But then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back, told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man 
had risen from the dead. I mean, what an incredible experience. I mean, can you imagine seeing Jesus suddenly unveiled in all of his glory and majesty? I mean, they get this glimpse of who Jesus really is, and they now know beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus is who he says he is. I mean, wouldn't you want to tell everyone about it? And Jesus tells them, no, you can't tell anyone until I've risen from the dead. But remember why Peter's telling us this story. He's, he's using it to refute the claim that Jesus isn't really coming back. So he recounts the story on the Mount of Transfiguration to say, Jesus is coming back. And here's how I know, because I saw with my own eyes when he was transfigured before me. I heard the voice of the Father affirming him. I saw the glory and honor he has. And, and this is how he'll appear in the light, uh, in, in the sight of all mankind at his second coming. For Peter, the second coming was such good news because it would finally usher in God's kingdom on earth and fulfill what all the ancient prophets of the Old Testament, you know, the, the, the Mosaic law and the prophets have been pointing to, that, that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, that the glory of God would fill the earth like water fills the seas. But the skeptics were also doubtful about these prophecies. And so Peter takes time to affirm the integrity and the, and the truthfulness of the prophets. He says, because of that experience, in other words, because of his experience on the Mount of Transfiguration, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. In other words, the words of those Old Testament prophets are not just fabricated fantasies. They're trustworthy and true because they come from God himself. In fact, if you skip down to verse 20, he, he says it really explicitly. He says, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. In other words, they weren't just making this up. No, the prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Peter is saying that what the prophets wrote was God breathed. They were moved by the Spirit as they wrote. It's almost like they were floating along in a great river of the Holy Spirit. And, and this verse is one of the strongest statements in the Bible about the divine inspiration of Scripture. So Peter's saying to the skeptics, hey, look, if you doubt the prophets, you can take my experience on the Mount of Transfiguration as confirmation of everything they said. Therefore, he says, because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. And so you must pay close attention to what they wrote, for their words are like a lamp shining in a dark place. I love that image. Is there anything more comforting to someone who is surrounded by darkness than a light appearing unexpectedly? You know, we're living through a dark time right now. Many of us are looking for anything to give us hope. God's word, what Peter's telling us here is that God's word is a source of hope. It's like a lamp shining in a dark place. It, it reminds me of what the psalmist wrote, that your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So if you're needing encouragement today, then, then I want to encourage you to go to the scriptures. 
to go daily, you know, spend time in the scriptures daily, go long in the scriptures, <laughs> go deep in the scriptures. Charles Spurgeon said that half of our fears arise from neglect of the Bible. Be masters of your Bible. Be at home with the writings of the prophets and apostles. So we're to pay attention to the word of God. We're to let their words give us hope and confidence until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Now, this is talking about the return of Jesus, the day. That's the return of Jesus. And, you know, let's be honest. A lot of us are frightened by the idea of Jesus coming back. You know, and we're going to talk a lot more about this as we go through the book because Peter talks a lot about it. But the imagery Peter uses here is so comforting. And that's what I want to leave you with today. Because when Jesus returns, it, it's like a sunrise, the sun creeping up above the horizon and, and bringing a new day and chasing away the darkness and the cold and, and then the light of Christ shining into our hearts. And you have to imagine and remember that the people who are reading this, this was a source of great comfort for them because they're facing persecution and, 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 and hardship and difficulty for their faith. But, but the fact that, that in the end, Christ will triumph is so encouraging because it means in the end, darkness and injustice doesn't win. Suffering won't be the end of their story. Jesus will come again, bringing justice and healing and a new day for all who put their trust in him. So to wrap this up, how do we stand firm? You know, it's not just about how strong we are, but about how firm our foundation is. So when we stand in the truth of Christ, that, that he came, that he died, that he rose again, and that he's coming again, and, and that darkness will not have the final say, that, then it gives us something solid to stand on. That's the truth that we stand on. And it's a truth that's solid and secure and cannot be changed by the winds and the waves of culture and history. It's a truth that will not crumble out from beneath you. So no matter where you're at today, no matter how dark things seem, no matter how many doubts you might be wrestling with, I want to encourage you to put your feet on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, to, to put your feet on his truth, on the great and precious promises of the word of God, because they will never let you down. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that in this time of shaking, we don't have to be shaken in our faith. But you've given us solid ground to stand upon. You've given us your word, this trustworthy treasure, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, help us to pay attention to your word, to, to, to pay close attention to it. Um, and, and Lord, I pray that you would illuminate it to us and give us understanding as we read. Lord, let your truth be an anchor for our hearts in this season and help us to stand firm in you. It's in your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.